officially open. This is draft season. John Schmoke, Tony Pauline with you as we head into the middle of October, really the meat of the college football season. As some of these, you know, preseason evaluations for some of the players heading into that 2024 NFL draft start to get updated as we get more data on some of these guys. Last week, we started with wide receivers and running backs with our offensive player rankings this week. We're going to do quarterbacks and tight ends, and we're also going to talk about some of the big games that took took place last week. Tony Pauline from Sports Kita, how are you, my friend? Okay. I mean, uh, some really exciting 3 o'clock games. You know, if you watch the games on Saturday, the noon kickoffs were duds, and then the 3.30 games, not just the LSU-Oregon game, Maryland, Illinois, there were a ton of really great afternoon games, and then, and then some good games later that night. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I, I I had the wife and kids out of the house from like one to three and I'm sitting there. I'm like, I can't even find a game to watch. Like this is it's brutal. I can't find a decent. I watched some of the uh, Alabama Arkansas game, which was at least competitive in the second half. But there just wasn't a whole lot there. And then I get the three thirty. Everyone comes rolling in as Washington Oregon start. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're killing me. I ended up rewatching. I watched that game after the night game is over at like eleven thirty at night. Yeah, you you're afraid to turn something the cha- channel because you're going to miss something. I mean, Texas A&M Tennessee was another really good afternoon game. It was absolutely all right. So let's get to it. Let's start with the games, and I want to start with Oregon and Washington because Tony, that's a game we talked about a lot on last week's show, and I think it met expectations at least for the players on offense. You know, we saw a lot of really good players make some plays in that game. Um, where do you want to start? Well, I mean, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks in depth, but you know, just to kind of capsulize it. You saw the different types of quarterbacks. And Penix, he's the big arm, downfield, big play quarterback who's very inconsistent. With Bo Nix, you're getting more of the game manager, the guy who, you know, is not prone to those 40, 50-yard plays down the field, but methodically moves his, his players down the field. You look at the receivers, McMillan went out early. Jalen McMillan went out early for what with Washington, for Washington, with, with I believe which was a hamstring injury. Then a doomsday takes over the game. He made some big plays. And you think he looks spectacular, but on the other side, Troy Franklin actually had a better game, or at least he had more receiving yards um, for uh, Oregon. So I thought the receivers played incredibly well. I'm a big fan of Bucky Irvin, the running back from oh, Oregon. He looked great. He He's looked a great. runner who, who, who creates yardage. He runs hard on the inside. He's a real good pass catcher out of the backfield. You know, we talked about him last week. I believe he's like my number three back right now on my board. And you saw why Saturday. I mean, it really wasn't much of a uh, of a defensive game. I do like yeah. to see uh, the, the I did like seeing the uh, Washington linebacker Olafoshio come back because he's had some injuries. He was really good two three years ago. He's been set back by injuries. Had eleven tackles, a sack, and a tackle for a loss. A smaller, you know, three four inside type of guy. But I mean, it was just an exciting game and landing, you know. Uh, doing what he did and even though it's on him that team was in a position at the end to basically kick a field goal and get an overtime the kid missed yeah absolutely i want to talk about the two wide receivers because it's two guys that we talked a lot about last week roma dunze and and uh then franklin from from oregon and you know tony i think this game kind of defined how those two guys are different right and i think they're probably going to be drafted in the same area come the spring give or take but Franklin is the guy that you saw the big play speed to get separation over the top and make some really athletic plays. While Odunze, who, by the way, watching him on TV, I thought looked faster than he looked on Washington coaches tape. And I think for fans that don't know, 
Washington's coaches tape, it looks like it's shot out of a blimp about like 200 yards above the stadium. And when you're that far away, sometimes the guys maybe don't look quite as fast as they might. So I, he did look a little bit faster to me. His game speed looked a little bit better watching him on TV than it was on tape. But even so, some of those catches late in the game, there were contested catches, right? You had that back shoulder from Penix, which was a really good throw. But it's not like he's getting a ton of separation. He caught himself underneath and off coverage, but you didn't see him run away from defenders the way you saw Franklin did for Oregon. Or even through the routes. I mean, he doesn't separate through his routes because he doesn't have he doesn't have that great quickness that his teammate McMillan has. Yeah. The ability to get separation through the routes. He's a real good receiver. But as we talked about last week in the receiver rankings, you know what the NFL, the NFL wants the Jordan Addison types, you know, not super fast, not super big, but they find ways to get open and they can separate the routes and defensive backs cannot stay with these guys as they exit their routes. But Dunsey's a great, a great pass catcher. He's just not the prototypical NFL receiver. I think comparisons are going to be made between a Dunsey and Drake London, uh, uh, from uh, the Atlanta Falcons, who was such a high pick uh, a few years ago. Is it Drake London? Drake? Uh, yep, you got it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I still think he is a day two pick. I still think his teammate Jalen McMillan is going to be selected before him. Yeah, we didn't get that to your point. McMillan really didn't play in the game, so we didn't have much of a chance to see him with that injury. We'll keep an eye on that uh, moving forward here. I know you were interested in the LSU Auburn game, Tony. Yeah, that that was a terrific game, and we we. we, we even know. And we still we see we see the continued development of uh, of Jaden Daniels, the quarterback there. Uh, Kieran Lacey and, and Malik Neighbors, the receivers there, had excellent games. I like Charles Turner, the center from LSU, who a guy is. I had him as a fourth round pick. El, uh, Auburn's got some terrific defensive tackles in the middle of the field. If you watch Turner, he's not the prettiest center, but he's a guy that uses great fundamentals, great football intellect. Uh, he, he was basically uh, you could not they could not penetrate him uh, in pass protection. He got movement run blocking. He works well with with his line mates. I think LSU ended up with almost 600 yards in total offense. They didn't get near Daniels. And that was Charles Turner. Keep an eye on him moving up draft boards. A guy who is a center who can also play guard. He really, really impressed me. And a Big Ten matchup that I know you were watching, Tony, probably, you know, it's not Michigan, it's not Ohio State, it's not Penn State, but I know you were locked in on Maryland, yeah. Illinois. Yeah, and and that was a good game that came down to the very end, like the, uh, like the Oregon-Washington game. And really the player there is uh, Jerhan uh, Newton of, uh, of Illinois, who just keeps playing better and better and better. I think he's going to go in the first round. He is a dominant guy that opponents can't stop. They double him. He gets penetration. He's a game disruptor. Maryland doesn't have the greatest offensive line, but still, I, I mean, Illinois played from behind, and Newton goes very hard. I like Maryland's de- defensive secondary. They got two real good safeties. They got a good cornerback to keep an eye on, Jaquan Shepard. But for me, that game was Jerzon Newton, the defensive lineman from Illinois, who I think when all is said and done, he's going to be a first-round pick. If he keeps playing the way he's playing and he tests well and maybe he goes to the senior bowl and knocks it out of the park for three days of practice, he could be an early first-round pick. Yeah, and we'll do, we'll get to defensive players in a couple weeks. Next week, we'll hit the offensive line here. So make sure you stay tuned to draft season as we continue to go through a lot of these position groups. All right, Tony, let's go to the quarterbacks. We, we talked about these guys a lot over the course of the season, obviously, as we get more data in. Uh, no surprise, you still have Caleb Williams as your number one quarterback on the board. But you don't have Drake May far behind. And this week, and I know 
it's very important when you're scouting these guys not to ride the roller coaster with individual performances week to week. And I think we saw the deficiency in the uh, USC talent against Notre Dame over the weekend where there was a lot of pressure and just frankly, Notre Dame is better players. So I think Caleb Williams was a little bit overmatched still through three picks in the game, a couple of ones that were a bit puzzling, but the raw tools are still there. There's some off platform throws that are just ridiculous, different arm angles. He just looks like such a natural thrower. Uh, he's he's going to be a guy because of that creativity, his arm strength, his accuracy, all that stuff, all counts. He's a good kid that teams are going to fall in love with him. And he's going to be the first or second pick in this year's draft. Yeah, well, I think he'll be the first pick. And remember, this is after a tough game against Arizona. I mean, he didn't play all that well against Arizona. And I think a lot of it is deficiency, not only with the receiver position, but on the offensive line. Now, last week, somebody had made the comment. I meant to look it up. I forgot that Caleb Williams is the best quarterback prospect in the uh, coming into the NFL ever. I completely disagree with that. I think that's ridiculous. Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, go back to John Elway. We can go through a host of them. But Caleb Williams is outstanding. I mean, he is a leader on the field. He's a dynamic personality on the field as well as off the field. People talk about the way he uh, the way he carries himself, the way he leads the team in the locker room. It's nothing but good things about Caleb Williams. He's not the biggest guy in the world. So it's going to be interesting to see what he measures in at. Is he going to be six foot one? Is he going to be six foot? That really doesn't matter uh, these days, as we saw with Bryce Young uh, last year. But the fact is, this is the guy's productive. The guy improvises. The guy's got great football intellect. He finds ways to make plays. He can make all the throws, as you like to say, you know, the off-platform throws, the way he improvises when things break down. You know, he's a great leader. Going to be basically on his way to contend for a second Heisman Trophy, which I think means a lot, even though, you know, as you mentioned, there's not a lot of talent around him. I mean, USC is a one-man team, and it's, it's Caleb Williams, who I would be shocked if he's not the first pick of the draft, especially the way it looks that the Chicago Bears could not only have the first pick of the draft, they could have the first two picks of the draft. You're right. He might. And it's funny, as we go along here, folks, you'll see when we talk about guys at all these different positions, we're not going to mention a lot of USC players. So that'll kind of tell you exactly what he's dealing with over there at USC. And then not far behind, Tony, I know some people have Drake May ahead of Williams on their boards. I, I don't. Um, I know you don't either. Uh, but he had a rough first half against Miami. You know, wasn't terrible, but didn't make a lot of big plays either. Only completed about half of his passes. But then he threw some really nice throws, had a bomb down the field right on the money in the second half against Miami. And I think we've talked about him before, just a really big arm, big-bodied quarterback that is a good enough athlete, is not the dynamic, you know, guy that Caleb Williams is, obviously. But he's a guy that can make all the throws. Looks the part. Plays the part. I, I mean, more of your, say, pocket passer, although he can pick up yardage with his legs. You're not really going to use him as a true RPO quarterback. You can use him outside the pocket, rolling out, throwing the ball. Not as good as Caleb Williams. Has got better size than Williams. I you could probably say he's got slightly better arm than Williams. That's more a, a positive of May, not a negative of, of Caleb Williams, who has a terrific arm. You know, he's more of your traditional Carson Palmer type. You know, a guy who's yeah, bigger, it's a good name. stronger. You know, who can withstand the rush. Uh, he's not as dynamic, as you said. That's why there's not a big spread on my board between the two of them. I like May. I like Williams. I could see them going 1-2 uh, or, you know, 1-3. Derek May, uh, Drake May will not be uh, on the board much longer after Caleb Williams is selected. Yeah, I throw Justin Herbert in there too, though I don't know if he has quite the physical tools that Herbert does. But you know, he is an elite, 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 elite arm strength and 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 good, really good mobility too. But I think that's the type of player we're looking at. You have two other first ground grades 
Tony, on your quarterback list here. Jador Sanders out of Colorado and Kuhn Ewers out of Texas. How close are those guys in terms to, to May and Williams? Are they going to be late first-rounders, and how do you evaluate both those players? Well, if Sanders enters the draft, I think he's going to be a top-20 pick. I mean, there is a bit of a spread between he and May, but the fact is this, you know, Colorado has hit a rough patch, but it's more because of their defense. I mean, Sanders yeah. continually responds. I mean, he's a guy who gets beaten up. He loses his top uh, prospect in Travis Hunter for a couple of games, yet he responds. He's got the answer. Uh, I love the way he just plays intellectually smart football. He, he makes good decisions. He's got tremendous poise. You look at that Colorado, go back to that Colorado State game. They were down by eight points. There's a minute and change left. They're on their own five-yard line. He drives them down the field, gets them into the end zone, gets a two-point conversion to tie the game, and then the game goes into overtime. I mean, he, he can make all, all, the, all the throws. He's not as well-known at this point because he's, you know, he played at Jackson State for a couple of years. Like I said, his dad says he's going to stay in school. We'll see what happens. But right now, I think he's a top 20 pick. Quinn Ewers, I think with Ewers, I like Ewers a lot, but I think he's more of an acquired taste. I yeah. think more of your traditional pocket passer, the Kenny Stabler type, if I was going to bring up a name from old time, you know, a downfield gunslinger with, who makes big plays, also will make a couple of mistakes on occasion, you know, not averse to throwing the ball, you know, into uh, traffic, into covered receivers, but a guy who, you know, will consistently pick up your, uh, have uh, receptions that are 30, 35, 40 yards down the field if you give him the speed receivers. I don't think he's as complete as Sanders. I don't think he's got the same football intellect at this point compared to Caleb Williams and Derek May. I think he's got great physical skills, and he's just got to round out his game. As I reported on uh, sportskeeda.com a couple of weeks ago, I'm hearing 50-50 when it comes to uh, Quinn Ewers as to whether or not he's going to enter the draft. Yeah, I just say consistency with him, right? Make it, always making the right decisions, making the right play. Uh, for younger fans, I'll throw Jake Plummer out there as a guy that kind of made a lot of big plays here and there, um, but then also made some big mistakes too. Uh, next guy on your list, Tony, is someone that I know has moved up your board. I know a lot of people have him in the first round. You don't quite yet. And that's a player we mentioned earlier in that Washington-Oregon game, Michael Penix, who has a really good arm. He's your traditional pocket passer. He's going to sit in there. He's going to sling the ball all around the field. His his motion reminds me, for some reason, I see him. And I think, my gosh, is that like Byron Leftwich's kid? Just the way he kind of like brings his arm all around and kind of slings it. That That's what it kind of reminds me of, just his throwing motion. But he's played really well this year. He's a six-year senior, obviously a transfer from Indiana. Where is Penix for you? And what are you hearing from scouts around the league about how they're evaluating him? Uh, really, who's been one of the most productive and, and explosive quarterbacks in college football this year? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Now, the thing about Penix is this. You talk about consistency. You know, he watched the Oregon game. He was great in the first quarter. He really, really didn't do too much in the middle of the game. And then he came back in the fourth quarter, let him down the field to tie the game and then and to lead the game. He is your downfield passer. The thing about Penix is, Number one, he's got a long injury history, a long injury history, which is really going to have to be checked out, multiple uh, ACLs. Number two, you know, is he just a gunslinger or is he a guy that can play from the pocket in for the short game and the intermediate game? And with those short passes and the intermediate passes, it's not just a matter of zipping the ball into the receiver. It's are the receivers waiting for the ball? Anticipation, the right? Exactly. Yeah. Or is, it, is the ball there so the receivers don't have to wait? Because if the receivers are waiting for the ball, there's a good chance you know, at the next level, defensive backs are going to make their move on the throw and pick off the pass. So I, I think what Penix is, as he goes through the process, I think Penix is one of those quarterbacks 
that would really benefit from the senior bowl. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. You and I have been there, the Matt Jones types. I mean, guys who play great at the senior bowl. If Penix goes to the senior bowl and has three days of outstanding practice where he's accurate, he's on the money, he shows timing with receivers that, you know, he basically just met, I think that will absolutely vault him into the first round. He's he playing well. He's not a definite first rounder for me yet because, you know, everybody loves those highlight down the field passes. And a lot of them are magnificent, but he's not he's not a completely rounded quarterback. And again, the injury issue is sort of the wild card here. Yeah, and that's something obviously that they'll know when they do the medical checks and all that. But, you know, the best a lot of people say uh, the best guide to future injury is past injury. So something to keep an eye on. But Michael Penix certainly. Looks like that transfer decision and staying in school another year going to Washington is certainly going to pay off for him, Tony, by far having the best year of his uh, collegiate career. Next two guys you have ranked pretty close to each other. Uh, Jason Dart out of Mississippi. Tony, I'll admit I have not watched him, so I'm looking forward to getting your scouting report on him. And then J.J. McCarthy out of Michigan, who, again, I think we see some flashes out of him, some throws where you're like, "Mm, okay, that's pretty good. But Michigan's offense just doesn't lend itself to like – these type of super explosive passing games like you're going to see out of Washington and Oregon. It's just not the style that they play. So I think NFL teams are going to have to do some projection with him and we'll see if McCarthy does in fact come out. He's just a junior. And I think it is also the fact that McCarthy's not a downfield passer. I mean, one of my criticisms of McCarthy is McCarthy is more like Caleb, say Caleb Williams in the sense that he's very dynamic. He's a great leader on the field. He can improvise. You talk about the off platform throws, but he can't drive the ball down the field. He doesn't have a big time arm. He's a guy where the, sometimes the deep passes hang. Sometimes the ball's late getting the receivers because he doesn't have the physical skills yet. It'll be like you said, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him if he's going to enter the draft or not. Jackson Dart, I mean, I, you know, I know a lot of people don't have him great as high as I do, but I see a guy. I see someone who's tough. I see someone who's smart. I see someone with the next level arm. I see someone who can make all the passes. Now, granted, that Lane Kiffin system is sort of a wide open system. and It's it's helter-skelter at times. Yet I see a guy in Dart who plays within the system, makes good decisions, uses all his receivers. And I just don't get why more people don't have this guy higher rated. It could be one of those situations where I'm way off the mark. But Dart just keeps producing and keeps playing well, you know, since transferring to Mississippi, to Ole Miss, from USC. Yeah, and he's being coordinated there on offense. Charlie Weiss's son is, is one of the passing game coordinators there. He, he's been putting together that system, and it works under Lane Kiffin, and, and they've done a really nice job. So I'll have to make sure I, I find a couple games of Jackson Dart moving forward here, get a feel for him. Uh, last few guys on your list, Tony, I'll kind of give you all four just because it's names I think people are going to recognize. And I'm going to throw a fifth one in there for you, and I'll just let you kind of talk about who you want to talk about here. Uh, you have Bo Nix out of Oregon, and again, I think you, you talked about him briefly. He likes to run around a lot. He likes to kind of you know do some things off-platform and stuff, but again, I'm not sure that consistent pocket passer is what you got there. Riley Leonard, third-year player out of Duke. You've talked about him. Big, big kid, can run around a little bit, got a really strong arm. Sam Hartman, he's the transfer uh, to Notre Dame, really smart player, maybe not super toolsy, but knows what he's doing. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke out of, out of Miami is a player that has had some success in college football. And then Michael Pratt, someone I haven't watched. I know Cameron Ward people like, and then Jaden Daniels out of LSU. So feel free to take all those guys, anybody you want to focus them on specifically, the floor is yours. Bo Nix of uh, Oregon, Sam Hartman of Notre Dame, and Michael Pratt of Tulane. 
they're more your game managers. I mean, they're the guys who they're not vertical passers. They can get the ball down the field on occasion, but you know, you're looking at, I hate to use the term dink and dunk because that's insulting, but these guys are smart. These guys see the field, they make good decisions, you know, they move the offense down and they play within the system. I think with Bo Nix, I think we're going to see Bo Nix at the senior bowl. I mean, a return to uh, to the state of Alabama. If you follow his history, you know what happened at Auburn. I mean, he was legacy there. And I think, that will be very important for Bo Nix. And I know I sound redundant when I talk about uh, quarterbacks going to the senior bowl and having three good days of practice. Sam Hartman has been a bit of a disappointment. I don't think, I, I think he was able to get away with a lot of things at Wake Forest because he was able to basically play Sandlot football, if you will. And he did a great job of it. I think now at Notre Dame, they've been relying more on the, uh, uh, on the running game. Although he did have a good game last week in the victory over USC Really didn't step up the way I have, but the guy's a great leader, just a tremendous leader. If you saw that interview with him after the Duke game, that's what's going to be projected, you know, at the combine when he interviews with teams and teams are going to love him. The question is, you know, is he a guy that can be that sort of starting quarterback at the next level or is he a backup? Michael Pride of Tulane, sort of the same way. When you talk about Riley Leonard, you're talking about a guy who's a great athlete with a big arm who really must round his game out and become you know, a consistent passer, a consistent, accurate passer, not just make plays with his legs, which he does very well. Yeah, Tyler Van Dyke is a bit of an enigma. When he's great and when he's on, he's unstoppable. He's got the physical skills. He's accurate. You know, he, he can make plays with his legs. But then there are some times where you're like, I wouldn't, I would, there's no way I would draft Tyler Van Dyke because he's so bad. So he's got to consistently play at a productive high-end level in order for him, you know, to basically meet his uh, meet expectations, he's one of those guys who, with the inconsistency this year, he may want to go the Michael Penix route and return to Miami for another year on the college field to get his game back together. I think Cameron Ward is sort of in the Michael Penix sort of uh, mold in the sense that he's probably more athletic than Penix. He can make more plays with his legs, but he's a big arm passer who gets the ball downfield. The one thing that I like about Ward is. In the past, his passes would be scattered all over the place. I've seen better accuracy from him this year. I think I've seen better pass placement from him this season. And again, I think you know he's a big arm passer that has got a lot of upside, whose game is on the upswing, which is very important. It'd be interesting to watch him once we start the uh, the pre draft process in January. You know, we mentioned Jaden Daniels before. Tony, is he trying to make a case here to be a day two pick? Do you think is he playing that well? Or you still think he's going to be an early day three guy? I still think day three right now. I do think you know if he keeps playing at the high level, he can maybe move into the late part of day two, and he's playing very well. Here's the thing: is you know, as you mentioned before, I usually take my foot off the throttle on the quarterback position because a lot of people go goggle over quarterbacks when a five six selected in the first round. I really like this class of quarterbacks. You got great top end talent. You got tremendous depth in the middle rounds, and, and then even later on, I, I mean, Grayson McCall out of uh, Coastal Carolina, Austin Reed out of Western Kentucky, Joe Milton out of Tennessee. These are guys who are going to be bottom half of day three selections, second half of day three selections, who've got great upside in Joe Milton or, or real good game managers. So I like the, I like the quarterback position 
from the from start to finish, which is very unusual. I'm usually not like that. I usually kind of take a back seat and say it's and say let's wait and see on the quarterbacks. Yeah, Tony's usually the bucket of cold water where he's like, first round, this guy, hey, he's a third round pick. What are these guys talking about? But no, Tony's a big fan of this quarterback class. And one guy that you have listed here, Tony, that I know you've kind of I think maybe been down on his performance a little bit this year is Devin Leary out of Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, talk about why you know you thought of him as more maybe a third rounder at the start. Now you have him on day three. Why? Hasn't played well. I mean, Devin Leary uh, was a terrific quarterback at North Carolina State, played well the beginning of 2022, then got injured, decided to transfer to Kentucky, and it's not worked out at all. His game seems to be going in reverse. And, I mean, he is really – he's one of these intellectual quarterbacks who makes plays with his head, decent arm, not a great arm, and it's not worked out for him at all at Kentucky. I mean, his game is actually going in reverse – it's one of those situations. I understand why, you know, he went back to school because of the injury last year, but the transfer has not worked out for uh, not, not only for Devin Leary, it hasn't really worked out for uh, uh, North Carolina state who took Brennan uh, Armstrong from Virginia. And that's been a disaster. All right, let's jump over to the tight end position here, Tony. First, give me an overall look at the class. Last year's class, both of us thought was one of the better classes in recent memory. Guys like Sam Laporta, who's doing great. Guys like Dalton Kincaid, who's very talented. Then you go a couple years before that, you have Kyle Pitts. You have Brock Bowers at the top. How do you categorize this tight end class? It's strong at the top, and then it really falls off. There's a lot of questions. You've got a lot of oversized college receivers who project to tight end at the next level. You've got guys who are injured. You've got guys who are one-dimensional. They're primarily pass catchers rather than pass catchers and blockers. I think there's a lot of question marks, but I think what's going to happen is that's going to be overshadowed by the guy at the top, Rock Bowers, because, you know, he is just so fantastic. He is such a dynamic player, skill player. Everybody's going to love the tight end class without really going deep into it. I just think there's a lot of questions, and there's two, there's not enough versatility as far as I'm concerned. All right, so let's talk about Brock Bowers. Throw, uh, throw your flowers, give him his praise, fet him, Tony. Well, I mean, he's the number four prospect on my board right now. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the ankle injury. He underwent surgery for the uh, ankle injury that he suffered Saturday against Vanderbilt, and I guess it's a situation where they're using wire rather than screws, which is going to send up some red flags. Uh, but, you know, go back to when we had Bruce Feldman on the show. Bruce Feldman says – He's a guy who's going to run in the four or five. So, you know, he's basically a 230 pound plus receiver on the college football field who can get down the field and beat linebackers or run step for step with safeties to make big plays down the field or go over the middle and catch the ball in the crowd, take a pounding and come away with the contested grab with a difficult grab. And he's not a bad blocker. He's not a strong blocker in the line of scrimmage. He gives effort. He's very good in motion. You get him on the second level and you pull him across the line of scrimmage. I want to see what happens with his ankle injury. But the fact is this, I, I mean, tight end position, you know, once in a while you have a guy that'll, that'll pop up there and he's, he's the guy that's once in a while as he's number number four on my overall board right now. And then your number two guy, I know you like a lot. You have a first round grade on him too. And I had a chance to watch him, Tony, Jatavian Sanders. You know, he's a nice combination of size. He's a guy that I think can do a little bit of both. He's 6'4", 249. So he's a bigger guy. And he can get down the field. He's got a lot of good traits, and his production this year for Texas has been off the charts. Fluid, athletic, an imposing-looking figure on the field. I mean, he, he's more imposing on the field than Brock Bowers. You see him 10, 15, 20 yards down the field, and he sticks out like a sore thumb because he's so big. For the most part, catches the ball well. Very rough around the edges. 
I, st- I think he's got to really complete his blocking. He's got to be more consistent with his pass catching. I'm told he's going to enter the draft. And I have a first round grade on him. I think the only way he doesn't end up in the first round if he runs a, is by running a clunker in the four sevens in pre-draft workouts. But you know, he is he's a guy sort of like Bowers. He's not as fast as Bowers, but he's got decent speed. But he's a guy who'll go over in the middle of the field and come away with the test to grab. And he's not a bad blocker. He's not a great blocker. I don't think they ask him to do it that much. And I think he doesn't really like to do it that much. Uh, but still, a big guy like that who can move the way he does and make uh, receptions all over the field is what the NFL wants at the position these days. And then, Tony, you mentioned in the overview, this is when we start getting into the injury issues, right? Um, you were on the Gadsden. He's kind of a receiver, but you think he's going to convert to tight end as a bigger receiver. He's over 220 pounds, right? He got hurt for Syracuse after a couple of weeks. He's out for the year. Uh, you have Eric all from Iowa. We don't have details yet on what happened to his knee. I don't believe I looked for it this morning, but he injured his knee this past weekend and it did not look great. And uh, Kirk Ferentz said it it's, looks like it's not great, but we don't have details on that yet. And then his teammate, Luke Lecce, he got hurt earlier in the year too. He's out for the, they think he's going to be out for the year with the ankle injury that he suffered. So those are three guys that you have in your top eight tight ends here that we might not see any of them again play football this year. Yeah, and Gadsden was a terrific receiver for Syracuse last year. When he was a receiver, they kind of used him as a hybrid. Obviously, he's got the bloodlines. His dad was a receiver in the, in the league for all those Miami years. Miami Dolphins, yep. And, and the reason is, you know, he's so tall. A guy like that who goes about 225 pounds right now, a younger guy like that, is going to get bigger. I, I mean, it's going to be tough for him to keep the weight off. And, and as his body just matures, uh, you know, it, he's going to grow into the tight end position. It'll be interesting to see, I think, He's best off returning for another year, Gatson. I don't know that he's going to do that. We'll see what happens. Talk about Eric All. Uh, maybe break some news here. I was told yesterday that it is a torn ACL with Eric All, that he is out for the season. And here's the interesting thing about Eric All. He's a sixth-year senior. But this is the second year in a row he's had a, he's had a season-ending injury. Didn't play at all last year at Michigan. Uh, and Luke Schumacher came in and took over. He followed his quarterback, Cade McNamara, to Iowa this year. McNamara gets injured, then All gets injured. I mean, there was a time last year where scouts had Eric All rated as a third-round prospect. That's what they thought about him. Now, what does Eric All do? I mean, does he come back to Iowa for a seventh year on the college field? Can he? Is he uh, even eligible? Uh, I, 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 you know, it's a good question. He didn't play last year, so I think he's only played – Three years. That's a, that's actually a good question. So he might have two medical red shirts and a COVID year to get the seven. Exactly. Jeez. In my conversation, <laughs> yes. In my conversation yesterday, when I brought this up, no one said he can't come back. So I got to think he's got that extra year. You know, does if he enters the draft, if he's drafted, it's going to be selected. He's going to be selected very late. Does he come back to Iowa for another year? And then he goes in as an overage player. Very difficult choice. I'm told Lachey is very likely to stay at uh, Iowa for another year, uh, a real good player. But again, I, I mean, Gadsden had early second, first round potential at the position, but now his year's over. Eric All, you're looking at a day two pick, his year's over. Luke Lachey, who I liked a lot, was early day three, maybe late day two potential, and he's gone for the year. So that's what, as you mentioned, what I'm talking about with the injury situation at the tight end position. Yeah, and I liked all too. You know, I don't think he he's quite the elite athlete that like George Kittle was. And even I don't think he moved as well as Laporta, but he was a willing blocker. He was big. Yeah. Once he got going in a straight line, he could run past people down the field. He was going to be a real solid day two tight end. 
255 pounds who can block, was yeah. expected to run in the high four sixes in the 40. But again, remember, you know, we're talking about the knee injury this year, which I was told yesterday is going to keep him out the rest of the season. He also had an injury last year, which prevented him from playing on the field for Michigan. Yeah, it's too bad. We'll see if he what he decides to do and if he decides to come back. Um, well, look, if you want to be a tight end, develop tight ends. He picked the right school to go to in Iowa. He just wasn't able to stay healthy. And he was having a productive year, too. He was. Before he the was injury, on the rise. Was, yeah, he, he, was, he, was basically, the rise. he was basically Iowa's number one weapon on their offense, the same way Laporta was last year. So uh, it's too bad. Another guy that converted to Tony or you think is going to convert is Johnny Wilson out of Florida State. You have a day two grade on him. Um, six, seven, big kid. But again, he's very light. He's one of those guys that's basically going to be your, you know, flex tight end, and he's not going to play right. on the line of scrimmage at all. Yeah, hey, going to be. A, I believe is going to be a move tight end. I just don't see. You know, we we talked about Dunze before from Washington and the inability to separate. Well, you multiply that by two, and that's Johnny Wilson, great pass catcher, comes away with some magnificent throws. But again, at six foot seven, he's going to put weight on before he's able to take the weight off. And he's already, what, 225 pounds, I believe. Yep. So I just don't see how this guy doesn't develop into or grow into the tight end position. Like you said, it's going to start off as a move tight end. You put him in motion before the snap of the ball. You line him up in the slot on occasion. Real good pass catcher. But the dimensions and really the lack of speed, because I don't think he's going to break four six. Uh, in the 40, and I don't know how you draft the receiver who doesn't break four six in the 40. You, you make him it, you turn him into a tight end, which is what I think is going to happen with Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Tony, we kind of went through the top seven here. Once you get past our top seven, who are some of the guys that you're really kind of keeping your eye on that you like a uh, little further down your list? And these are guys that are all probably going to be day three picks. Keep an eye on Kate Stover of Ohio State. Stover was going to uh, considered entering last year's draft. But that semifinal game against Georgia, he hurt his hip, he hurt his back, he's gone back. Now you're starting to see Ohio State use the tight end more and more. He's a terrific pass catcher. He's a tough tight end. He doesn't look very fast on the field. No, he doesn't. You're right about that. But from what I'm told, he's going to test off the roof when it comes really? to the time. He's a guy who's going to run under 4-6. He's going to jump through the roof. I hear his testing numbers are going to be great. And if, in fact, those testing numbers are great, and you watch the film, and he shows himself to be, you know, a good pass catcher, and he's a solid blocker. I think it's day two for him. Ben Sanat of Kansas State, another outstanding athlete. Got kind of a funky body, and he's a smaller guy. Is he a fullback? Is he a tight end? Is he an H-back? He's a real good pass catcher. He's a real good athlete that Kansas State throws the ball to, and he's very reliable. Uh, after that, you know, you got Theo Johnson of Penn State who's more of a size speed guy, but doesn't have great production. Same thing with Jalen Conyers, who goes 265 pounds. He's massive. You see him, he moves around the field very easily. But I think he's got 12 catches uh, this year, uh, this season. And that's what I mean about the tight end class. I mean, you've got a lot of guys who they looked apart, but the production is down. Then you've got guys like Isaac Rex of BYU, who's very productive. But I don't know he's going to break 475 at the combine. He doesn't play very athletic football, which is why there's not a lot of versatility in this tight end class. And you're basically looking at, after you get past the top couple of guys, you're looking at developmental guys or guys who are number three tight ends that you hope you can develop into number two tight ends. Yeah, Tony, that's a surprise. I didn't think Stover would test all that well based on the yeah. way I when I watched die. him this morning. And he just doesn't look like he is nope. dynamic as an athlete, right? But if he tests that well, he's got really good hands. He runs routes pretty well. Uh, you know, not a powerful blocker, but he's willing. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think that'll help. And I accidentally skipped him over. He is, you do have him as a day two pick as your sixth ranked tight end. So I did not mean to skip over him. That's my fault. Real quick before we say goodbye, Tony, two really big games I want to touch on this upcoming weekend Penn State, Ohio State. Obviously, this is Penn State trying to send the message here. They played really good football this year. They've had some really big blowout wins. Obviously, Ohio State is, is the class of that conference along with Michigan. This is a real statement game for Penn State. They have some players to watch, too, that are probably going to go pretty high in this draft. I don't see Ohio State winning this game. And my daughter goes to Ohio State, so we're an Ohio State family, if you will. I think Penn State's going to go in there, and they're going to kick the snot out of them for a couple Wow! I mean, number one, Penn State's got a a tremendous offensive line. You know, people talk about Fijano, but all across that offensive line, they're outstanding. The interior of the interior defensive line for the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes has been not been good this year. Michael Hall, who a lot of us, including myself, thought was going to be an early pick, is getting blown off the line. I, I can just I can't see Penn uh, Ohio State getting the quarterback. I think Penn State's going to just run the ball down the middle uh, in the middle of the field and chew up that Ohio State offense. And then you look at the uh, the Penn State defense and just the dynamic talent that they have on that side of the ball now going against a mediocre quarterback who stares down the primary target. He doesn't move his head An Ohio state offensive line where we're used to seeing good offensive tackles, but the offensive tackles for Ohio state have not been good this year. I mean, it's basically a two man show at Ohio state. It's Marvin Harrison jr. And a, a, a Beck goo, the other receiver who's I don't even know if he's going to play this week because he hurt the ankle against Maryland. Yep. And and Stover, okay, we we, we got to put Stover in there, but it's Harrison and Begu who are the dynamic players. I I just don't see how Ohio State's going to stay with Penn State this week. Maybe they're able to build momentum from that win against Purdue last uh, last week, but you know Penn State's got quality and quantity advantages over uh, uh, Ohio State, except for one guy, Marvin Harrison Jr. USC Utah is a good evening game. We already kind of touched on USC a little bit. If you want to touch on a Utah guy or two, Tony, you can. But then you have Tennessee Alabama in the afternoon, a good SEC matchup. There are some good players on those two teams as well, right? And I, I mean, Utah is, they've got an excellent defense. I think it's going to be another difficult day for Caleb Williams. I can see USC. Uh, basically losing their their second game of the year here. They've got some good guys uh, in the secondary uh, uh, Utah that's going to that are going to be drafted in the middle rounds. They got an excellent offensive line, and that USC defense, you know, is gets pushed around all over the field. Uh, Tennessee, I mean, it could be two years in a row that Tennessee beats Alabama if they're able to keep the momentum going over that Texas A and M. Uh, when I thought that Arkansas could pull one out against Alabama, they almost did. You know, Alabama is not the Alabama that we've seen in recent years, especially on offense. Uh, Jace McClellan, the running back, is really starting to kick it into gear. He looks like he's going to be a solid middle round pick. Maybe he slides into day two because of the lack of depth at the running back position. Uh, but Tennessee, decent defense. Quarterback who makes big plays in Joe Milton. We talked about Michael Penix before. Joe Milton's a guy who is a tremendous athlete with a phenomenal arm, but a lot more inconsistency than we've seen from a guy than we've seen from Michael Penix. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee wins that game, beats Alabama for the second year in a row, even though it's on the road. Yeah, still a lot of good prospects on that Alabama defense. A couple edge rushers that people really like. Kool-Aid McKinstry, a cornerback, obviously. So a lot of players to watch in those games coming up this weekend. Tony, this was fun as always, my friend. We appreciate it. And we'll uh, do some trench work on the offensive line next week. I look forward to it. Look forward to it, John. See you then. 
For Tony Pauline, he's from Sportskeeda. I am John Schmoke with the Giants. Don't forget, go find Draft Season on your favorite podcast platform or go find it and subscribe on the Giants app or Giants.com slash podcast. Remember, this is a draft podcast. It's not focused on the Giants. So no matter what team you root for, come check us out on, the, on Draft Season. For Tony Pauline, I'm John Schmoke. We'll see you next time.